uh, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, and again, like Scott said, don't be afraid to fill out that Connect card. Uh, we are not going to bug you or harass you. We really just want to send you a little thank you note for being here today, uh, being a part of our service. Um, let's get started. Let's jump right in. If you have your Bibles with you or if you have your Bible app, uh, turn to the book of Job. J-O-B. How many of you, when you see that, thought, man, we're going to do a series on work, job. What's job? We're doing, no. Job, Job. You know, even for those of you who didn't grow up in church, uh, you have probably heard something about Job. It's one of those kind of universal stories, universal names and characters that a lot of people uh, have heard something about. Uh, in fact, typically when people discuss, you know, why bad things happen to good people, a lot of times they'll bring up uh, the life of Job, the story of Job. Uh, many people have heard the phrase, of course, you know, the patience of Job. Well, uh, before we jump into chapter 1, I, wanna, I want you to actually turn to uh, chapter 42, okay? Uh, skip all the way to the very end of Job, the last chapter of the book. Um, you know, for a lot of people, the book of Job is really one of the most confusing, uh, depressing books of the Bible. And, uh, and if, you, if you think that, you've probably been wondering to yourself, man, what in the world is Pastor Chris thinking? This is going to be terrible. You know, this is going to be depressing. Life is bad enough as it is, and then I'm going to come to church and get depressed. Like, maybe Pastor Chris needs a hug or something, you know? Uh, well, I could use a hug, but that's not why uh, we're, we're doing this. Um, the, the problem is that a lot of times, when people teach or preach, or you've heard messages on the life of Job, uh, typically they kind of stop after chapter 2. Okay, they just kind of stop right there. And yet, as you now know, if you didn't know already, there are 42 chapters. There's 40 more chapters um, in the book. Um, in fact, again, let's fast forward all the way to the, the last chapter, chapter 42, and I want to highlight uh, one particular verse that's kind of kind of stand as you know maybe a theme verse or uh, kind of a backdrop for our entire series on the life in the uh, in the book of Job, uh, Job chapter forty two verse twelve. Look at this. This is an amazing verse. The Lord, what? What's the word? The Lord blessed. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Isn't that awesome? The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. The, the rest of Job's life, I, I've used this phrase a lot, was the best of his life. I mean, the rest of his life was the best of his life. In fact, drop down to the very last verses of the chapter, verses 16 and 17. It's on the screen. It's on your outline. It says this, Job lived 140 years after that. After what? After all the calamity that happened, all the stuff all, all the tragedy, all the bad that happened in his life. Living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he died an old man who had lived what? What's, what's the phrase? A long and good life. A long and good life. So what's happening here? Well, what's happening here is obvious. God blessed Job. You know, God wasn't finished with him yet. The rest of his life really was the best of his life. Man, I like that. I like that. I like that this ends the way it ends. I, in fact, I want that. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to live a long and, and good life? Don't you want to live a blessed life? 
I mean, listen, no matter what it is that you've been through, and, and, as, and as I've been preparing for this series and, and praying about what we're going to talk about and discuss, um, the reality is some of you have been through the ringer lately. I mean, some of you have been through some stuff. And uh, it's been hard, and it's been difficult. Well, the good news is, number one, you know, your past doesn't have to define you, and your story is not over yet. You know, that is, that, that, that's one of the messages of Job. And I think that can be the message of your life. In a, in a way, I, I think this is a great series to follow up the series we just finished, The Story of My Life. Because for many of you, here's what I think you've been wondering. You know, where has God been in my story? I mean, where has he been? For some of you, you've been through tremendous amounts of pain and hurt, and tragedy, and you've experienced some things that, you know, you don't even like to talk about, and so, you know, the question for you is, well, where has God been in my story? Where has he been through it all? Well, what we're going to discover in this particular series is that God has been right where he's always been, in complete, sovereign control right there with you you know your story is not over and God still wants to bless you now it might not be how or when you know we understand blessing but just like Job I really believe that the rest of your life can ultimately be the best of your life I like that I want that. You know, I, I not only want that for my own life, I was thinking about this, I want that for our church. You know, I, I like to know, I like this idea that, you know what, God's not finished with us yet. You know, we're getting ready to come up on our, our 25th anniversary, Easter uh, this year. I, I like the idea that, that, you know, we're just getting started, that, that there's so much yet to be accomplished. I like praying and dreaming about the fact that there are more people here in our city to reach. That, that yes, you know, we're living in a day and time where things are difficult. It is bad. But I believe that God has strategically put a church like Coastal right here for such a time as this. I like to know that there are more people to reach. That there are more people to love. More families to, to heal. More lives to change. More people to love. I like this idea that, you know, we're just getting started, that God's got more to, to, to accomplish through us, and that the rest of our history, the rest of our story can still be the best of our story. Well, I don't want just that, I don't want that just for me and for our church. I want that for you. You know, I want that for everyone that our church comes into contact with, that, that just like Job, I want the next chapter of your life to be the best chapter of your life. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced, you know, I, I want you to have a hope for a better tomorrow. In fact, maybe you're here today and you say, well, you know, honestly, Chris, uh, you know, my life to this point has been pretty good. You know what? I want the next part to be even better. In fact, in many ways, uh, that's what this series is all about, that no matter what you've experienced, good or bad, 
you know, tragedy or triumph, you can still be blessed in ways that you never imagined or you never dreamed about. So let's get started. Let's dig into uh, the life and the story uh, of Job. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. How many of you would say that you have a temper? How many of you have a temper? Okay. Now, okay, now let's, let's go a little bit deeper with this. How many of you have been so mad that so mad that you felt like you wanted to hit someone or something? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm making, <laughs> I, I am making mental note right now. We have, we have a lot of violent people here, here at Coastal. Okay, now, um, I'm going to ask you another question, but this is probably a more serious question, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think about it. And just honestly reflect in, in your heart for a second. How many of you have ever been angry with God? angry with God. Now, my belief is that we probably all have. You know, there, there have been times in all of our lives where we were just ticked off and frustrated with God. Now, nobody likes to talk about that, or at least I'll say this, nobody likes to admit that, especially in church, right? Because, you know, we're supposed to put on the happy face here and not say, you know, honest things like that. But I bet there have been times in all of our lives where we have screamed out, God, why? Why? I mean, I remember, you know, in my life, and I've shared my testimony before, when I was 13 years old, my dad passed away, and uh, wow, I was mad. I mean, in my, in my mind, I went, I know about 10 other people that would be worth killing off before my dad, you know. Like, God, why? You know, take, take one of them. Why? Now, here's the problem. You know, when we get mad, or even, you know, honestly, even frustrated or confused with something or, so, or someone, our tendency is to throw in the towel. Okay? You know, to, to walk away from something. You know, to give up on it. I mean, think about it. You know, whether it's a subject in school, I mean, maybe you took a language, a foreign language in school, like Spanish, French, whatever it was, and you're like, wow, I am never, you know, let's talk about confusing and frustrating. I'm walking away, never coming back to a foreign language. Or maybe it was math for you. Or maybe it wasn't a subject in school, it was, you know, getting out of debt. And it got difficult, it got hard, you got angry, it's like enough is enough. Let's pull those credit cards back out. Or maybe exercising, or more importantly, a relationship. And you got angry, you got mad, you got frustrated. Or maybe even a relationship with God. Again, if something is frustrating, confusing, and makes you angry, we tend to walk away from it. We tend to, to give up. Now, listen to me for a second, because this is really important as we dig into the story of Job. No matter how angry, frustrated, or confused you are right now with God, don't walk away from him. Don't walk away. 
I promise you, I promise you, God has not given up on you. He has not walked out on you. Now, how do I know that? Because I know some of you are thinking, Chris, I, I'm not sure. How do I know that? Well, one, you're here. You are here and you are alive. And I've said this many times. If you're not dead, God's not what? He's not done with you. Listen, maybe, maybe the thing that you needed to hear today more than anything about as we get into Job is that simply, listen, God loves you. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. He's not finished with you. He still wants to bless you. The rest of your, your life can be the best of your life. God has a plan for your life, and he wants to do in your life what he did in, in Job's life. In fact, Jesus said it like this. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. Abundantly. Some Trump's on translation say more completely. God, God wants to bless you. He wants you to experience the abundant life. There is more to this life, and God wants you to experience that. In fact, write this down. God's love for you is big enough to handle your anger. You know, I think sometimes we, we do people um, uh, a disservice in the church when we kind of scold people for getting angry, frustrated, or confused with God, or, or even, you know, to doubt God. Listen, I think this ought to be a safe place where we ought to come to God honestly with, with that and say, because all throughout Scripture, in fact, you see the people that God tended to use in the, in the greatest way were the people who were the most honest with God, sometimes the people who had the greatest doubts or, or the most frustration or the deepest anger. Listen, God's love for you is so big and so great that he can handle your anger. He can handle your doubt, your confusion. You know, one of the, uh, one of the themes of the book of Job, and there, there are many, but it really is just the faithfulness of Job that he didn't walk away, that he didn't throw in the towel, that he didn't give up. You see, even when Job could not see the hand of God, even when he couldn't trace the hand of God, he continued to trust the heart of God. Even when it, might have, even when it appeared that God might have been absent or that, or that God had abandoned Job, Job remained faithful. And he discovered that God was always there. Listen, we need this today. We need the message of Job. We need this series. Some of you, you are going through some difficult, difficult, painful stuff. And let me say this. Let me just be honest because sometimes, you know, sometimes I see what, what television preachers tell people and, and it just makes me sick to my stomach. Listen, some of you are going through some difficult stuff. And if you're not right now, listen to me loud and clear. You will. You will. You are either in a valley. Right now, you are in a valley. You're headed to a valley. Or you're coming out of a valley. That is the fact of life. You're either in one right now. You're either heading toward one. Or you're walking out of one. That, that, that's, that's life. But the message of Job. And, and the message of of this series is hang in there. 
You know, remain faithful. Don't give up. We, we used this verse a couple of weeks ago, Galatians 6, 9. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged in what? Give up. Don't give up. He says, hang in there. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged when you're doing the right thing. Don't get discouraged when it seems like you're the only one doing the right thing. Don't get discouraged when doing the right thing is difficult and it's hard. He says, don't give up, for you're going to reap a harvest of blessing. You will be blessed at the appropriate time. Now, again, it might not be in ways you think or you, you imagine, but it might be even better. So let's dig in to the story of Job. And then at the end, I'm just going to wrap it up and make two quick points today. Number one, uh, or Job uh, chapter one, beginning in verse one. In the land of Uz, don't you like that name, Uz? I, just, I love some of the Bible uh, names and places. In the land of Uz, there was a man, uh, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. So the, the story begins that, that Job, the Bible says, was blameless and upright. In other words, we know that Job was a godly man. He did the right thing, okay? He had a large family. Had a great relationship, obviously with his wife, a lot of kids, um, seven sons, three daughters. Uh, he's a wealthy man. He owned a lot of land, owned a lot of livestock. I mean, it appears, man, Job has everything. He's got it all. He is living the good and the godly life, okay? Now, verse 4. His sons used to take uh, turns holding feasts in their homes and uh, they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. In other words, they liked to party, okay? They were a happy family, loved to party, loved the festivals and the feast. And it says, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, hey, perhaps my children have sinned and, and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular Custom. Now, again, what does that mean? Well, it means that Job, again, was a godly man. He loved his children, loved his family. In fact, so much so, listen to this, he took initiative. He took responsibility for their spiritual lives. It says regularly, this was his custom. They liked to party. He thought, well, you know, sometimes in their partying, they might have said or done something that offends God, so I'm going to make sure that I make sacrifices for them. So he loves his family. He, he's a blessed man. He's wealthy. He has it all. He loves God. Now, that's the backdrop. In the meantime, God and Satan are having a conversation in heaven. And by the way, let me just say this. Have you learned yet, or, or are you at least aware of the fact that there's a lot more going on in this world than what you and I can see? Amen. You know, we, we live in, in a spiritual world. And if we could just peel back a little bit and see what's going on behind the scenes, I think we, we, we would be amazed. There's always, always more going on in our lives and in the lives of people than what we can see. So, again, Job is living the good and the godly life. God and Satan are having this conversation. In verse 8, God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, what is God doing? He is bragging on Job. I mean, just saying, man, there's never been a man like Job. He is awesome. He is godly. He does the right thing. He, he walks away from evil. He does the godly thing. And then Satan replies like this. He says, well, yeah, of course, God, but it's because you've blessed him. Now, verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him? And his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are, are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and surely he will curse you to your face. Now, what's, what's Satan saying? Basically what he's saying is, okay, God, Sure, but any fool will follow you when life is good. I mean, today he might say, sure, anybody can come to church and clap and lift their hands to God and sing when all of life is wonderful, when life is great and you feel blessed. However, you take away that person's blessings Things start going bad in that person's life. Things, you know, are difficult and hard and tragedy strikes. They will curse you. They will walk away from you. They will have nothing to do with you. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, very interesting. God tells Satan, okay, okay, take away his blessings. You can do whatever you want with all of his stuff, but don't lay a finger on him physically. Don't harm him physically. Now, I don't want you to miss this. And this is one of the probably more than one of the more confusing parts of our, of our theology and of our faith, but listen to this. Satan had to get permission from God to act. Now, make no mistake about it. God has no equal, okay? Don't, don't think this in your head. Don't think, oh, this is a story of, you know, this is God against Satan in some sort of, you know, cosmic struggle of good versus evil. No, 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 no. God owns Satan, okay? Satan can't do a thing unless, ultimately, it passes through the hands of God. Always remember that. So, Satan leaves the presence of God, it says, and quite frankly, Job ends up having the day from hell, okay? It's bad, literally. He has the day from hell. Ever have one of those where everything just goes wrong? I mean, you wake up in the morning, it's bad, it gets worse. You go to work, it's worse. I mean, all throughout the day, tragedy strikes, it's a terrible day. Well, in one day, Job loses everything. He lost all of his money. 
And you can read the whole story for yourself. All of his money, all of his land, all of his possessions, all of his livestock, all of his cattle. He is bankrupt and destitute in one day. Now, if that's not bad enough, it gets worse, okay? In that same day from hell, a natural disaster takes place. A natural disaster strikes, and all ten, all ten of his children are killed. Now they say that there, there is nothing more painful than a parent losing one of their children. You know that a parent should never have to bury their child. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine that pain. You know, just recently we were, you know, we've had a lot of uh, babies born here at Coastal. And I think, uh, I think it was actually we were talking to Scott about, you know, getting shots. You know, or, you know, just having to, you know, do all the things that you have to do with babies and all that early on. I can remember the thing where they have to uh, prick their heel and get the blood out. And I remember being there watching them, you know, just squeeze or, you know, it looked like they were going to rip their, their feet off. And, uh, you know, Jan had to leave the room. She's crying, you know, and, and like, you know, of course, they're, they're doing all these things for their good. And yet it's so painful, you know, for us to watch. I can't, I, you know, I can't imagine. And in one day, all ten of his children. But at the end of Job chapter 1, it says this. Listen to this. At this... Job got up, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. By the way, first of all, he, he's mourning. I mean, he's deep sadness. He's in mourning. He, he tears his robe. He shaves his head. That's a, a sign, a symbol of mourning. It says, though, he fell to the ground in worship, and he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. Wow. Well, the story doesn't end there. In Job chapter 2, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it does. In Job chapter 2, God and Satan are having another conversation. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now stop right there for a second. Like, if you're Job, I'm pretty sure you're ready for God to stop bragging on you, okay? Like, <laughs> hey God. We're good, you know, thank you. Thanks for the compliment. You know, I'm your boy, I'm your boy, but, you know, uh, that's enough. Because um, he keeps going. He says, listen, listen, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and, listen to this, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him, to ruin him without any reason. In other words, 
I allowed you to take everything away from him, and he still follows me. He still worships me. And then Satan, and this is one of the things about Satan, you know, there, there is like this little, little ounce of truth in some of what he says, a little bit, he twists it, but there's a little bit of truth, and he says, well, you know, sure he does. Of course he does, God, but he's still healthy. right? And he is, right? There's the truth. He's still healthy. You see, you take away his health, and he will curse you and die. And God says, okay, you can do anything you want to him physically, but you can't take his life. I mean, you think about that. I mean, basically, you know, this sounds like a mobster movie. You can beat the crap out of him, but leave him within an inch of his life. I mean, that's basically what God says. And so, listen, Satan leaves the presence of God. And the next thing that you read, is, and this I'm convinced now when I read through this, Job's got Ebola, okay? I mean, that's, I mean, read the story, verses 7 8. Listen to this. So, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from, from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then, listen, it was so bad, it says, then Job took a piece of broken pottery and just scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. So, I mean, it's bad. It is terrible. In fact, it, it gets worse. It is so bad that several of his friends, we'll talk about his friends later. I mean, you're going to find out with friends like these who, who needs enemies, right? We're going to see that later. But um, some of his friends come to see him, which is great. But when they come to see him, Job looks so terrible physically. I mean, he looks so bad that they don't know what to say. Have you ever seen, have you ever done that? You go to see somebody in the hospital or go see someone who's sick and you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, and they just, and, and so you don't know what to say. Well, it says that it's that bad that they sit in silence for seven days. They just stare at it. They're, they're afraid to say anything because he's that bad. Now, it, it is so bad that even Job's wife comes to him in verse 9. Listen to this. This is his wife, Mrs. Job. Okay? We don't know her name. Anyway, um, it says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, it is so bad that Job has lost everything, everything that he owns, all of his children, lost Lost all of his health. The only thing he didn't lose was his nagging wife. And she's like, you know, curse God, die. Okay, so this is bad. I mean, it's just, I mean, again, you read the story. Now, stop right here at the end of Job chapter 2. And a lot of people do. They stop right here. And here's where a lot of pastors and preachers and teachers go with this. Here it is. You ready? Listen, everybody. Job had a hard life. Nobody here has had it as bad as Job, right? You think you have it bad, Job had it worse. So you just need to suck it up and get over it, okay? No matter what pain you think it is that you've been through and you've experienced, and we've all done this. We've used this on our kids, right? There's always somebody who what? 
has it worse. That's the message that a lot of people use when they talk about Job. And then they say, now let's pray. Okay. Now, have you, had, have you heard that message before? I'm sure you have. We all have. In fact, like I said, to an extent, we use that at time, a time or two. Now, I don't think that's the message of Job. I really don't. And, and, and that's not what I'm saying today. That's not what we're saying in this series. Here's what I'm saying. Number one, life is hard and your pain is real. That's what I'm saying. Life is hard and your pain is real. You know, we, we live in a fallen, sinful world. And life is hard. And I don't have all the cliche answers and the bumper sticker answers to your million dollar questions, but I know life is hard and your pain is real. And some of you are experiencing deep, deep pain. I mean, I can't imagine the emotional pain of losing 10 children. And yet I know there are those of you here today moms who've had miscarriages, women who have been sexually abused or raped, and your pain is real. You know, some of you are experiencing deep relational pain, and you're in a marriage, and it is, it is hard every single day. Your pain is real. Some of you are divorced and your pain is real. Some of you have lost a job and your pain is real. Some of you have found out that a loved one has cancer and your pain is very real. Some of you have had tests done and they found, found a lump. Your pain is real. Some of you have been diagnosed with depression. Some of you are estranged from your children. You know, I tell our volunteers almost every week that we really have no idea what pain and what hurt and what baggage people come here with. I think the problem is that most of the time, people think that the church is this place where we just have to put on, again, like a happy face and fake it, and you can't be real with people. And you can't struggle, and you can't hurt. In fact, most people have this impression of the church, really, that it's a place that you actually have to clean up your act and get your stuff together before you come here. And I think part of the reason for that is that we have believed a lie that is as prevalent today as it was even in Job's day, and we're going to talk about that in the series, and that is, well, hey, God does good things to good people, and he does bad things to bad people, and if you will just have enough faith, you'll never be sick, you'll never experience pain, and you'll have all the money you'll ever need. 
And there are some people who teach that, that heresy. And so, and so what happens as a result? The result is, you see, we tend to size up people and judge people and look at people who are going through bad times or sometimes even worse, introspectively, we look at ourselves in pain and you know what we think? God must be what? Punishing me. God must be punishing them. Now, there are two problems with that. One is Jesus, and the other is the Bible. Okay, let me ask you, what, I mean, come on. What do you do with Jesus? Who, by the way, was what? Perfect and in the will of God, and yet he suffered great pain. Now, I know you might push back and you go, yeah, but come on, Pastor Chris, that was Jesus. Okay, well, then what do you do with all the followers of Jesus who were martyred for their faith, suffered greatly for their faith? And again, Job, Job wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, he was doing everything right. I mean, what do you do with the very words of Jesus himself who said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, okay? But in this world, you're gonna have what? What's he say? Trouble. But here's the hope. Take heart, I have what? I have overcome the world. So number one, Life is hard, and your pain is real, which leads me to number two. Number two, God is still sovereign, and he still loves you. He is still sovereign, and he still loves you. Now, what does that mean? It means that God is still on the throne. He's not abdicated his position. He is still in control. And no matter what you and I go through, no matter, listen to me, listen to this, this is where it is difficult. No matter how good life is, no matter how bad life is, God is still in control and he is still good. And he still loves you. You know, one of the things we've got to wrap our heads around is that my circumstances don't alter his character. He is still God. He is still good. He is in control. It just depends on how you and I are going to choose to view life. You see, listen to this. Are we going to allow our circumstances to determine our theology, how we view and think about God, or are we going to allow how we view God, what we believe about God, to determine how we view our circumstances. How do you view life? Because at the end of the day, God is still God. He is still good, no matter what you and I are going through. Listen, we are simply not going to have all of the answers on this side of eternity. And we could talk about, you know, again, the sinful, fallen world that we live in, the freedom of choice that we have, all of that. I still think it's difficult to wrap our brains around all of that and know we're still not going to understand it all. We can't see everything that's going on. We can't understand everything. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, again, don't, 
Don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying that we don't have doubts, that we don't have frustrations, that we don't even get angry with God. You're going to find out Job got angry. Job, Job had doubts. But hear, hear this loud and clear today. God's love for you is big enough to handle your anger. And just because you can't see God's hand, that doesn't mean that he's silent. It doesn't mean that he's absent. He's still sovereign. And one of these days, one of these days, everything that is wrong will be made right. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped out of a tomb. And as long as that is true, as long as that tomb is empty, and if you and I are in Jesus, if we are in Christ, no matter what happens in this life, we have hope. We can walk in victory. Because our hope, listen, it's not based on circumstances. Our hope is based on the character of God, that he is God, that he is good, and that Jesus is alive. And one day, one day, we will be blessed beyond measure. One day we will see God face to face. Do you know ultimately that was Job's hope? I mean, way before it got to Job 42, Job 19, I love this. Job 19 verses 25 and 27. Listen to what Job said. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, God is God. He is still in control. And one day, one day, I am going to see him face to face. No matter what happens to, on this earth to me, no matter what happens to me physically, I know that he is alive and I will see him and my heart longs for that. And God's love is so great and so big and so miraculous that he even has the ability to use everything that you and I go through on this earth, even the bad that's been done to you. He has the ability to use that for your good and his ultimate glory. Look at Romans 8, 28. Listen to this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God are called according to his purpose for them. Now, notice it doesn't say that everything is good. Not everything is good. There is a lot of evil in this world and a lot of evil that has been, been done to you. Not everything is good. But somehow, some way, if we let God, he can even work all of that together for our good. Listen to me this morning. Your pain is real. Life is hard. But God is still in control and he still loves you. So don't give up. Don't give up on God. You know, the God of Job chapter 2 is still the God 
of Job chapter 42. No matter what happens, the rest of your life, no matter what you've been through, can still be the best of your life. That's the message. That's the message of hope today. You know, instead of giving people bubblegum answers for million-dollar questions, let's share the truth with them. Because we have hope. We have a blessed hope. This morning, I just want to close in prayer, and I want to pray for those of you who are, who are suffering today, who feel like you're in great pain. Maybe you even feel like God has abandoned you and he's left you. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you today. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, today, this next step for you, it says that God works all these things, everything together for good for those who what? Who love him. Maybe today you'd like to come home to God. Take that next step of, of faith and become a follower of, of the Lord through Christ. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life and for the story of Job. God, I believe there are people here today whose pain is very, very real. And they're, in, they're hurting. And they don't need me to yell and scream at them and tell them that it doesn't matter, that there's somebody else who's had it worse. God, I feel like they need us to say that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to be frustrated. Your pain is is real but God you've never left them you've never forsaken them you're right where you've always been you're still in control and you still have the ability to bless the rest of their life to change their story to make the rest of their life the best of their life you still love them you're still good I pray they feel that today, they've heard that, and that they would experience it. Listen, come home to God today. Just say, Father, today I believe. I believe that Jesus suffered greatly for me. It was my sin, my my freedom, you know, put Jesus ultimately on that cross. We do live in a fallen, sinful world, and I've been a part of it. Today I confess it, and I want to come home. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that your love and your power were too great for death or Satan to think they had won, and he rose from the dead, and he is alive. Today I believe that. Put all my trust and hope in him and him alone. And for the rest of my days, good or bad, I want to follow Jesus. And it's in his name I pray.